Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hey y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Launch Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by my friend, Dr. Nathan Riley, and we're going to be diving into all the ways that you can take control of your pregnancy and your labor and your postpartum. He actually has birthed outside of the system, had a home birth as an OBGYN, and I want to dive into that. I want to dive into what did prenatal care look like in their family as an OBGYN, but having a home birth, what did that partner support look like? And how did postpartum go? So Nathan, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to, it's great to be back. (laughs) I am so excited to have you back again. Last time we talked about navigating the system and how to have conversations with your provider. So if that's something you're interested in, scroll back, um, find Nathan on our previous episode, but start us off with your home birth. I, I would love to start off like very, very beginning. What made you have a home birth? as an OBGYN? That's a good question. I don't, I don't think that my wife would have been as excited about having a home birth had we not been still in the midst of this COVID thing. And, um, and I think a big, a big concern for her was, and for me as well was, you know, heaven forbid, we have a birth in the hospital and we had a, our first baby came in the hospital. It was in, largely unassisted. It was completely unmedicated. We were it was six hours total labor. And, um, and it was fairly straightforward. Like for, through her eyes, there's things that she would have wanted to improve on, but she would have been happy to improve upon those by having another hospital birth. But then we started, you know, of course, in my practice, Beloved Holistics, I get a lot of people consulting with me because they're afraid of, because, you know, having a hospital-based birth because of this thing that happened to the, their, their cousin's you know, uncles, first cousins, daughter, and, you know, and they hear these, these scary stories about having birth in the hospital, mom and dad gets swabbed for COVID. One of them comes back positive. So the baby is taken away, goes to the NICU. And then there's this period of time where the mom and dad are, are like waiting for that negative, you know, PCR or whatever test. And um, in the, in the meantime, the baby's being cared for by the hospital staff and, you know, heaven forbid the parents take the baby home and the baby gets COVID. I mean, like, that was all the fear. And you've heard different iterations of this story. And I think that my wife was particularly concerned about that. Like, what if we test positive going in? The other part being, do I have to push with a mask? Can my husband, can any other support people be in the room? The answer sometimes is no, even now. Um, And then lastly, like if I'm 
rolling in there and I'm nine centimeters dilated. Like when we went in last time, which we thought was a fluke, like, you know, and I'll tell you about our home birth, which was even better than six hours. But, um, if we roll in there and I'm in the, in the, like the, the grips of childbirth, am I going to be, have somebody stuff the straw up my nose? And, you know, it just, it just sounded to her like, that doesn't sound like my, my ideal situation. So we knew a lot of midwives in the community. We found a midwife uh, named Jenna Oligues, in case you're anybody in the area is curious. And she had moved back from Texas and was building her practice. Um, I also have a friend who's a, a family medicine doc who did a fellowship in obstetrics and gynecology. She's training to do home births now. So she was involved. And then there was a midwifery student that was following Jenna along. And um, she consulted with us at about, I want to say it was about 26 weeks or so. Uh, maybe even a little bit later, maybe it was closer to 28 weeks. And um, it was a nice chemistry and Stephanie felt supported and heard. And so um, that was sort of like, okay, let's do this. We had to get our tub. We had to get all the supplies ready. And um, and the rest is sort of history. <laughs> okay. So tell us about the home birth. The birth itself. Yeah. So you did ask a little bit about the prenatal care and what that looked like. Of course, if you're going to have a midwife as your primary um, caregiver, during, um, during, uh, your pregnancy, you can expect, you know, relatively frequent visits, but they're not, they're not like those medicalized kind of, okay, go into this room, give us a P test, go into this room, get your vital signs checked. Dad, you wait over here. And then they screen you for domestic violence, all good things, but it kind of has this feel in the clinical sort of scenario. What I, which is where I trained of your kind of move from one spot to the next. There's a very kind of impersonal touch to it. Um, you get your belly measured, they check heart tones, maybe do an ultrasound. They ask you a couple of routine questions and then they say, okay, here's what to expect on your next visit. You're pushed out the door. Like the, the conversation, like I had all these real juicy questions, but there wasn't time for that. Uh, whereas with a midwife, you still have maybe a visit every four weeks or every two weeks as you get closer to the birth. And, um, but they're rich with conversation and there's lots of tears from everybody involved. Um, and then immediately be, you know, so we went through those visits immediately before the birth, about a week before we had the baby, I did a saging ceremony with all of the people who were going to be in attendance. And then we were ready. And so at 40 weeks on the dot, my uh, in-laws were all in town. My mom and her husband were in town and they were staying in an Airbnb, but they were helping us on the day, our 40, 40 weeks. It was happened to be November 6th. And uh, they were all, we were all like reseeding the grass, like we're doing labor outside. Meanwhile, my wife wasn't feeling so great that day, but we didn't know it was coming. And at 5 p.m., her water broke. She texted me and said, hey, don't sound any alarms, but my water broke. I'm feeling fine. I went inside and her mom was doing some Reiki on her because I think her back started tensing up a little bit. And um, so keep in mind the, the timeline here. Water broke around five. I think it was just after five o'clock. Um, I notified her midwife, Jenna, and I said, hey, listen, she doesn't seem like she's in labor to me yet. Like it's not full-blown active labor, but her waters have opened. So just, you know, FYI. So Jenna said, okay, I'll spin over and just check up on, on you guys. And um, 6 p.m. rolls around. And um, I've called now our friend, Sarah Tromoli, who's the, um, she manages a company called Effigy. And um, Effigy is a breathwork company that is a conscious hyperventilatory um, breathing process that we've done many times. She happens to be here local, but she and her, the owner of the company um, uh, is actually on San Francisco. So this is like a nationwide breathwork company. And she just happens to be our close friend. So we, I said, do you want to come over and do some breathwork? And Stephanie was like super excited about this. So Sarah rolls over, arrives at 6 PM. I've got the tub set up in the room. We have everything orchestrated. The bookshelf goes over here. 
We're going to run the hose. We've got the attachment. We fill the tub up with nice warm water. Stephanie lays down. She's starting to feel a little like, oh, stuff's moving now. Like it's already picking up an hour later. So, you know, you prepare for the worst, which could be 36 hours of that or more. <laughs> um, but then you hope for the best. And we had a six hour from from start to finish the first time. Now we're at hour one and Stephanie's thinking, man, it could be like this for another 24 hours for all I know. So let's get the breath work in. It'll recenter us. It'll ground us. And uh, this type of breath work is very intense, so much so that outside of pregnancies, both Stephanie and I would have a completely unlocking of our entire chakra system. It's heart opening. It's pelvis opening. It is a, for me, it's like an out-of-body experience. And so we started doing the breathing and 40 minutes in, I was out of my, I was out of sorts. Like my hands were all cramped up. My legs were all cramped up and I was breathing hypnotically. Stephanie was next to me on our bed and she was starting to move her legs back and forth, windshield wiper style. So I could tell stuff was changing. But then at 640, this is an hour 40 after water breaks, she asks Sarah politely, I love you, Sarah, but I, I, I'm going to have you leave. Just let the midwife know I need her to come upstairs. And, uh, by 6.46, we had a baby right on the bed. So we had an hour and 46, give or take a couple minutes of labor from start to finish. Didn't even get to use the damn birth tub, um, but the baby came out asleep. So Everly Rosa came out asleep and, um, and we had to wake her up to do the APGARS, which is the, the sort of early scoring for the transition of the baby from inside to out. And um, while we were doing this breath work, Sarah was telling me that all three of the birth workers were up there in like wide-eyed with their masks on their faces and this heavy drumming kind of like deep entrancing music, very kind of new age was just pounding through the house. And so when the midwife checked her and the baby just slipped out asleep, no coning of the head, nothing. It was almost like you watched this portal open and then close placenta came out a few minutes later and just, we kept it attached for who knows how long hours. And, um, and that was the birth. That was our entire birth process. So your next question is most people listen to that and they're like, wow, how can I have that type of birth? And I do think that there's a lot of preparation. Um, there's a lot of physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental preparation that goes into something like this. And I do think that Stephanie kind of embodies all of those things and a really nice balance between them. So it was the, the most beautiful birth I've ever been to, probably the best moment of my life. Perhaps, you know, I have to weigh that against the, the birth of our first baby. But man, um, if birth goes like that every time, you know, you can imagine how it'd be easy to just keep having babies. We don't think we're going to necessarily, but um, it was really, uh, really a, a beautiful, very, very memorable experience for both of us. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it changed you on a cellular level, a spiritual level, relationship wise, you mm. two as individuals, you two with your baby. Um, yeah. That is what a phenomenal birth story. Okay, so for the people who are out there thinking, oh, how can I do this? Was there anything intentional that you guys did? leading up to birth either individually or together as a couple to have this i assume this wasn't the first time that you had seen or done this breath work so you must have been practicing that yeah we we have done that breath work several you know probably a dozen times between the two of us um stephanie also did the breath work in uh pregnancy it's probably a few months before the birth and when people think about breath work, let's start, we'll start with that topic because that's certainly the most interesting part of our birth. 
Um, because even like uh, everybody I've talked to, nobody's ever really seen that done where you're actually breathing as the baby's coming out. Um, and when we're talking about breathing, you know, most people think breathe in, fill the lungs, fill the belly, and then breathe out. This is, so you're hyper oxygenating. It's not like the Wim Hof or some of these other uh, really, really great breathing techniques where you hold your breath and you become hypercapnic where you build up CO2 that actually potentially could be harmful in pregnancy. This is a hyper-oxygenating breath. So I, I want to make that clear for people. Um, but having practiced that, it's a bit of a relinquishing of control whenever you get to that point of, this is uncomfortable, that I'm going to be doing this for 60 minutes. Sounds impossible. But if you actually do it in practice before you're going through pregnancy and birth, you get to know that that's a perfect metaphor for birth itself. Like once you're at the top of the hill, there is no turning back. The roller coaster does not go in reverse. It, you're up there, and now that can that potential energy is going to be released in, in a tremendous roar as kinetic energy, and that baby is coming out one way or the other. So if you hold back in the breath work, you never really reach that top, and the uh, you know the elevator stalls, so to speak. Um, I think that the practice of something like breath work or very hard exercise or even meditation, you get to that point where you're like getting fidgety and getting restless. That's the point you have to push through. And that's a perfect allegory, I think, for, for the preparation that goes into having a baby. Now, I'm going to give my, my caveat here. I understand that I'm a man. I am a man of privilege. And I have all of the language in the world to be able to talk about this as an OBGYN. And so everything I'm saying could probably be better articulated through my wife um, because she's the one that actually gave birth. But having seen so many people who are of privilege, who have done all of the work, I still have, I see the people that come in and they've done all the hypnobirthing, but there's that point where they hit that resistance and they say, no, 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 no. And that's something that I think can be worked on before pregnancy, before conception, throughout pregnancy and then into the postpartum period, because there are going to be obstacles, um, not even just with the birth, but in, in a lot of ways after the birth, where we don't want to go there. We don't want to do this thing, but we have to, because it's your job as an adult to do those things. And being pregnant and having a baby is very much an adult, an adult thing. So anything that we can do that helps us get to that point where we don't want to go, but we have to go, um, I think is very, very helpful. And I think it was very helpful to have me breathing with her because it was complete, it was very, very connecting. In fact, I even told her afterwards, I was having abdominal pain while we were breathing. We were holding hands. And this is a very energetic um, experience. Birth is breathing in birth is, is a way for you and your partner to connect as you're giving birth. And I think that that, um, that there was almost like a, um, like a cumulative experience there, right? It was more than just the sum of her breathing and me breathing. There was actually an intertwining of our, of our more subtle bodies and an energetic outpouring that, that allowed us to just, you know, it sort of permitted this process to unfold. So that was, that was the biggest thing um, that we did. But, you know, we also did quite a bit of other things in order to help prepare. Um, do you want me to talk about those things now? Sure, absolutely. I'm off in La La Land imagining if all partners were this prepared to support, you know, their wife and having a yeah. baby and, and if everybody could kind of relinquish that control at the top of the mountain to say like, oh, I'm scared, but also like, I know it's going to be okay because birth works. I trust this process. I trust the team around me. I trust my body, my baby. Yeah. Nature. Yeah. 
Well, especially uh, and to comment on that a little bit, if you're a female having a baby and you know, if you have a male partner or if you have a person who identifies as uh, or perhaps embodies masculine energy, um, you're going to be faced with the reality that people who are masculine energy dominant, whether you're born male or female, they, you are, they're going to invariably be a problem solver. Like that's kind of the masculine. That is the divine masculine is holding space for the divine feminine. But like, if you think of the mountains as the masculine and the water in a stream or a river as the feminine, there's this powerful river that can only function as a river with the boundaries set by the mountain. The mountain is the masculine. It's not fixing any of the river's problems. It's literally holding space for the river to do the, the erosion of this, this path, you know, forward. And um, or the glaciers or whatever other you know nature metaphor because you see these two these two forces at play all all over the place in nature. So if you are a man or, or if you're masculine energy dominant and you're going to be supporting a person giving birth, the first lesson is that you cannot fix this. Mm. What you can do is you can stand shoulder to shoulder with that person and you can breathe together. I mean, <laughs> in our case, we were literally breathing. Yeah. Now, what, what I mean is instead of you facing each other head to head to try to solve the problem, get out of the, you know, the puzzle room, the escape room, you guys are looking down this very, very, very long path ahead of you. And you're going to stand shoulder to shoulder and you're going to go together. And when you know, when a birthing woman knows that their partner is there to support them, that makes it easier for them to lean into the process because it's a lot less scary if there's somebody else going in there with you without knowing the answers, without, without being able to clarify what the other side's going to look like. And in our first birth, I think Stephanie, knowing that I'm an OBGYN and she's been with me through all of my training, I think she was a little bit worried about that. I think she was worried I was going to jump in and I was going to have the answer or like, hey, you should do it this way or I know better. Um, And I didn't do that in her first birth. And I think that was very reassuring for her. But I think she did put on the brakes a little bit. And that was something we we resolved in our conversations and our deep work, internal work personally, but also as a couple before the birth of our second. And it made the experience of having a baby at home. It's, it's more than just trusting in birth. It's trusting in one another to have one another's backs, no matter who we are, when we go through the portal and we emerge on the other side. So that's the second big thing that we did is that we had to really reconcile. What does this mean for our relationship? So the day of the birth is easy, right? Like the baby's going to come no matter what. I mean, it, is, it isn't easy. It, giving birth is not easy, but, but my point is, is that things get a lot harder after that. Um, and as a, as a man, you know, you've got this little baby that's crying in your face and there's nothing you can do for her except to just hold her and rock her and not be mad at her. She's not screaming at you because you're a bad guy or that you don't have the right thing or the right tool or the, the solution. She just needs you to witness her. And that's, that is an ongoing conversation that we as men, um, and again, I'm using masculine energy dominance because this has nothing to do with your sex. This is how do you show up in the world? And for me, I am very masculine. I, uh, I like to solve problems. You know, most people going to medicine are like that. And there's nothing, there's no problem to solve for a little baby that's just screaming because this little baby doesn't know what's going on in the world. Um, I could say the same for my partner. You know, she sometimes just wants to come to me in order to share how she's feeling. There's no answer. There's no solution she's looking for, but that gets into a cliche conversation around 
men versus women and how men can, can actually just honor women by hearing them and nodding and witnessing the, the pain that they're going through. And childbirth is the, is the ultimate test. So, um, so I do work with a lot of men and women, both in childbirth. And, um, and that's a, that was probably the biggest, the second biggest thing that we did in preparing for this one. I love that analogy of mountains being that masculine energy and to see that it's carried out through pregnancy as they're kind of changing, but in labor too, but in postpartum specifically, I would have never kind of recognized that as now you're the mountains for your baby, mm-hmm. right? All babies are going to be kind of a river because they're all going <laughs> to, they're all pummeling through your life. I promise boy or girl, oh, yeah. doesn't matter the, yeah. the sex of your baby. Uh, they're going to be, you know, making waves in your life. And you as the parent, it is your job to kind of hold those boundaries. That is I love that analogy. Okay, so we had talked about prenatal care and what that might have looked like for Stephanie. I want to know if there's anything um, that you guys decided not to do that in the medical system, you probably would have faced some pushback in doing, or did you just really kind of have a free pregnancy and only checked into things as you needed? That's, that's really the ideal. It's just not what we see in traditional care, right? We're always poking and prodding. And when you go looking for problems, well, you're exactly going to find right. them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we had, um, so throughout our entire pregnancy care, we started the first half with our OBGYN from our first pregnancy and her name's Dr. Nett. She's an amazing, an amazing doctor, a great, as, as good as they get in, in the OBGYN world. So she did give us an incredible birth experience. She made us feel very supported. In fact, Stephanie was Stephanie felt bad about telling her that we were going to do a home birth. And, and Dr. Nett was like, I knew you were coming in to tell me that she's like, I just had a feeling she's like, whatever, you're like the best candidate for home birth. And, and so having her support also really helped. Um, but, you know, we did, we did all the normal stuff in the beginning. Uh, we, you know, did the early ultrasound to confirm dating. I don't think we had any more ultrasounds after that. She did do the, the sugar test uh, at the midway point. Um, it's not necessary to do that for anybody out there who's super low risk, but you know, Stephanie chose to do that. And I support her in her decisions. She did get the Tdap vaccine, um, in order to pass some, to give some passive immunity to the baby against pertussis. Um, and apart from that, there was really nothing more, you know, our midwife did some measurements, fundal heights and, and actually Dr. Nett sent Stephanie home with a, um, a measuring tape and I was just checking it anyway. So we really didn't. And her belly was growing proportionally, you know, so it, it, you, there was a little doubt there. Um, And then her midwife, of course, did some occasional fetal dop tones and whatnot throughout her, the remainder of her prenatal care. But that was pretty much it. You know, I think one thing that came out of COVID was that, you know, for the first, you know, six months or so of the pandemic, women were not going in for routine prenatal care. And we learned, oh my gosh, maybe we don't need to be requiring women who have multiple kids at home to haul their butts over to the clinic to just be treated along the assembly line. And uh, we, it's not like we had worse outcomes or anything like that. It was, it was just like, wow, maybe we don't need as many visits as we've been you know, suggesting um, over the past several decades. Um, but then up to the birth, yeah. I mean, the birth of course was completely unmedicated and everything else. We didn't do any of the iGoop. We didn't do any vitamin K, not even drops. Um, and we didn't do any vaccines. We didn't even do a birth certificate for a second. So, uh, and that's a different conversation for a different time, but uh, the sort of sorted history of, of birth certificates and, and, uh, and putting our, our kid into a position where they're now like, 
expected to act a certain way is uh, something we've been very thoughtful about. We haven't written it off entirely, but it's something we're very thoughtful about. But no vaccines, no flu shots, no vitamin K, none of that stuff. And uh, she is healthy and happy as can be. So <laughs> part of that is an, is, is an attribution to Stephanie and how well she's cared for herself. She's very thoughtful about the food she puts in. She moves and stretches regularly. She gets at least eight, nine hours of sleep a night. Um, well, not now, before the, before the pregnancy she was. I think we're probably getting six to seven now and we feel the effects. Um, you know, we, we have clean drinking water. We structure our water. We, um, using like a coherence device, we, um, we block all EMF in the house from midnight until 8 a.m. in the morning. So the, this is like really the foundation of my holistic OBGYN practice is <clears throat> how can we impact chronic pelvic pain, infertility issues, um, endometriosis, uh, PCOS, insulin resistance. Like how can we get all those things under control using just the things that are available to us in our immediate surroundings at home, at the grocery store, et cetera. And that really is the foundation of, of what we did in our prenatal care and, and, it, and, it, and extended into the postpartum care. So some other things that we did that aren't a general sort of standard practice in OBGYN um, care is we were vaginal steaming from day one after we had the baby. So I have a good friend, Adrian uh, Izanari, I think is how you say her last name, but I can get you her information. She's kind of like my perineal pelvic steaming specialist that I just refer people to, and she will get them proprietary Chinese medicine-based herbal blends. You steam, you, you boil a pot of water, sit on a stool with a hole. We have like an old commode, like a bedside commode from my grandfather. And uh, we just place the pot of water into there, wrap her up in a warm blanket, play some nice music. And she has a 20 minutes to herself and just steams all of the pelvic tissues and everything goes back to normal. Um, just like that. Now, granted, she didn't have any lacerations. She didn't have any big tears or anything, despite Everly Rosa being about a pound bigger than her first Penelope loose. Um, but a part of that also was, I think the breath work, we had this portal open, the baby slid out asleep and then the portal closed. And, uh, but still, even if you don't have any tears, you know, if you haven't had a baby, your, your pelvis itself is inflamed. It's not just the skin, it's the deeper structures. It's the pelvic floor. All those muscles have been super relaxed and stretched out. And now they're going to, they're going to recoil and go back to where they belong. And, um, vaginal steaming using the right blend of herbs increases blood flow to that area. So, so, um, increased blood flow removes the bad stuff, delivers the good, including oxygen and all the blood supply and all the nutrients that are required for the remodeling, the healing process. And within six weeks, you should really be back to really should be back to normal. I mean, it, it may be a little different, you know, you may have a new, a new normal, but for people who have chronic pain, they have incontinence, all those types of things can absolutely be addressed. If we have a plan in place before you have the baby. So we can get to the steaming, the nutrition, um, back to the exercise, back to the stretching, back to balancing out your chakras. Those types of things are really a part of the plan before you even have the baby. And then afterwards, you know, phase two begins. And then we start kind of putting the pieces back together, so to speak. And vaginal semen, is that something that Stephanie did in your first birth too? Yeah. So she, yeah. Stephanie's Mexican and her mom, um, went to Mexico and just went to like the herb guy sure. and said, Oh, my, you know, my wife's having a baby. Can you give us a blend for postpartum herbs? And man, it was like 20 different herbs. She ran rung off to me. So she brought back like a garbage bag size yeah. bag of herbs. We ground them all up. And then, um, we still have some left over cause she didn't get through all of them, but 
Yeah, it was like one stay leave for about three weeks after the birth. And um, you could even go much longer than that because it's actually a, a, a nice experience. Um, I think it was more helpful to her the first time. This time around, she she bounced back so quickly that I think she felt like, I don't know, there's two babies running around. Perhaps that was also it. You know, it's it's hard to find that 20 minutes for yourself. But um, but yeah, we did it in both. We did it in both both births. That's awesome. That uh, quick bounce back. It's so home birth. <laughs> I know it really is. It really it is. It really really is. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so while we're on the topic of postpartum, what are couple things that you have done that have really made a difference. You've now been through the postpartum period twice. Looking back, what are some things that were real game changers, some real challenges, some things that for listeners out there who may be facing their first baby or maybe even their second baby and postpartum was really hard. What are some tips that people could walk away with, you know, and consider putting in their life postpartum to make it easier? Yeah, there's a book called The First 40 Days, which is a great cookbook. It takes an Ayurvedic approach to healing, which is, is which is really very much in alignment with the Chinese medicine sort of principles as well. It's all about rebalancing those things, right? You know, rebalancing warmth, rebalancing cold, um, dampness, dryness, etc. And I don't think that that's like necessarily going to be your anybody's Bible, but the principle of rebalancing is really important. So remember, after you have a baby, you've got you know, a couple extra liters of blood perhaps floating around in your body. So the uterus goes from here to here, baby's out, blood flows now entirely going to the body as opposed to about 50% of every bit of blood that comes out of your, your heart with every pump. 50% of that was going roughly to the uterus. And so now you don't have anywhere for that blood to go. So your body takes all that blood and puts it out into your extremities. You get a little bit swollen in this and that. And um, it, it doesn't, doesn't help that you're now immobilized. You're kind of laying in bed resting, which is definitely what you should be doing. So uh, what I always, what, what we were really, really careful with was how are we going to nourish Stephanie? You know, she, you're going to lose some blood. Your body's going to be all out of whack. Your body now needs to be revitalized. And so organ meats are actually a big part of our practice. Even in pregnancy, we weren't doing any prenatal vitamins. I know that that's, that it's not heretical to not do prenatal vitamins, but if you look at the back of prenatal vitamin bottles, there's so much junk in them that it's like, forget it. We'll get like real food in our bodies. So we do eat a lot of fillers. Yeah. Fillers and, and like, whatever it's like, it's like candy, like gummy bears and stuff like they're delicious. Yeah. But like this, they're made with all these artificial food dyes and everything else. So organ meats, you know, if you go to like your local, like a biodynamic farm, we have down the street named uh, Fox hollow, you can get like for, for like $4, you can get a pound of liver, dehydrate it, chop it up, dehydrate it again, powderize it and then encapsulate it. And you take two capsules of liver, two capsules of beef heart every day, um, along with a really, really high quality fish oil. We were doing that before, during, and after pregnancy. And this is like these fatty, these fatty constituents, they have all these, um, fat soluble vitamins, vitamins, but also liver is so rich in all those micronutrients, you know, that we don't really get anywhere unless you're taking a multivitamin because most people are only eating like seven vegetables in rotation, right? We do try to, you know, maximize the, the number of colors and the different types of vegetables. Um, but also keeping in mind the times of the season, right? You want to be eating seasonally. So we were eating a lot of stews, a lot of sweet potatoes, a lot of potatoes with beef and some organ meat mixed in, um, 
tubers, um, peas, carrots, like a lot of those vegetables kind of go with the season. If you have a baby in the spring or in the summer, you're going to want to consider some other types of foods, some more cooling foods like cucumber, et cetera. Um, and those also happen to be what's in season that time of year. So that, that book, the first 40 days will kind of give you an idea as to how we balance out the foods with our body's needs, as well as the seasons. And then one other thing I think that people forget about is that if you're up and redlining it all day long, like me, right? You wake up, you go and start working, go to the gym, you go back home and work more. And then maybe you have some time to, to chill out and then you go to bed. You have to consider the seasons of the day as well. And I think that that's extremely important in the postpartum period where you're probably going to need to be more restful than you are going out and getting it. And I think, I think what we do is we pressure too many women to get right back to the job. You know, you get your 12 weeks maternity and then you're supposed to go back full time. Well, I would like to see that change, of course, but if, if you're in a position to take more time, take as much time as you need, because energetically, you also need to be with your baby. Like your baby is dependent on being on you, with you, touching you, smothered in your breasts at all times. Like that is, that is the thing to do. So don't feel guilty about giving your baby that time. Now, the difference between our first and our second was that our first one was like, we had nowhere else to go. We had this one baby, but now it requires a little bit more on my part. I have to get up and I take care of our toddler you know, who's not even two yet. So we've got two under two. Um, she's not even two yet, but I go and get her ready, change her diaper. We sing some songs, get her milk, get her, um, get her uh, some eggs or something ready. And then my wife will eventually come down with the baby. So she's gotten a little bit of extra rest and whatnot. And I did mention milk. So I actually wanted to go back to that real quickly. If you can find raw dairy anywhere, that is the, that is the gold for your baby. Um, I mean, once you finish breastfeeding, so we only give our toddler raw dairy and we only put raw dairy in all of our foods. And the reason for that is the the hyper pasteurization, the ultra pasteurization process denatures everything, including all the enzymes, the proteins, et cetera, that's in milk. So that was another important, very, very nutrient rich food that we have in our diet, um, that helps with the, uh, the postpartum healing. That is amazing. Okay. And if somebody is not going to go get um, raw livers from their farm down the street, <laughs> where they, where can they find them? You can buy desiccated yeah. liver in pill form, correct? Yeah. There's, there's two companies that I know of that do it right. Uh, Wellness Force Meats, they do it well. And then Heart and Soil Co., um, which is, uh, there was the guy who wrote the book, The Carnivore Diet. I don't remember his name. Saladino, I think is his last name. He, uh, he has a company that produces from New Zealand cows, which they have really, really strict requirements as to what can be in the soil that, that grows grass that cows are grazing on. So they end up with really, really healthy cow livers that are not loaded with toxins. So um, if you don't have a, a local farm nearby, either of those two companies, you can order them online for way more money than you would, that you would spend if you bought it yourself and did it yourself. But I also kind of get off on like, how can I save money and do it better than the, the big guys, you know? So so we, we aim for the best in our house. <laughs> you also, I think as an OBGYN, don't mind the guts and the gore. And I am just picturing so many of my people being like, I, I cannot can do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is not a very forgiving meat too. Like liver is tough. There's like a capsule on top of it. So you're cutting through and you're like, oh my God, this is not like steak and it stinks. And now my wife's like, are you making more little capsules? I can smell it from like down the street. It's a, it's a definitely a process. Yeah. <laughs> An acquired taste. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They, they're actually, there's another way you can get uh, some of these things. And the, probably the, the most delicious way is if you go to 
so I said force of nature meets, and then I, I mentioned heart and soil. There's another company called us wellness meets, and they actually have liverwurst and head cheese. It sounds disgusting, but liverwurst is more of like the kidneys than the liver and stuff. But head cheese is liver and beef heart with a bunch of delicious seasonings. It tastes like sausage, but it's actually organ meat. And that's actually become our go-to because my wife is pretty averse to eating anything liver or otherwise. Um, uh, I mean, liver and kidneys are the two that are really hard to, to stomach. And I would say heart is a little bit as well. Everything else of the cow is pretty easy to, 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 to it's pretty palatable. Um, but if you, um, if you go to that website, you can actually get these things and it comes in like a roll and you slice a piece off and it's like a little medallion and you just make it up with your eggs and it's delicious. So I don't like the, the flavor of liver any more than anybody else does, but that is definitely the way to go. <laughs> and what about bone broth? Is that anywhere in your rotation oh, yeah. of foods? Yeah. Bone broth. Yeah, yeah totally. So uh, the same farm that we get the, the livers, the, the liver from they, uh, we bought a cow from them and I, they didn't even give us the liver and the bones. And I was like, Hey, we bought a cow. And they were like, nobody ever asks for the bones and the liver. So I was like, come on, let's take, let's get those bones here. So we actually make our own bone broth and it's super easy. You get a big slow cooker, throw the bones, like the big knuckly bones are great or the longer bones. They have all that marrow in it, throw them in there with like some onion, like whatever you've got in your fridge, any herbs you got in your garden, throw it all in there, add some salt and pepper and let it cook for like 24 hours. And you'll strain out all the solid stuff and you're left with this incredibly rich broth, which obviously you're, you're a fan of, um, that we use for all of our meals that require any sort of stock. You just throw it in there. The same goes for like, if you buy a chicken from a local farm and you know, it's a really well-raised chicken, save the carcass, throw it into the crock pot, add some water and let it cook for 24 hours. And you're, you're like left with this incredibly rich nutrient, rich, um, uh, uh, broth. And I will add that like when your pelvis is going through this healing process, like you're supporting the connective tissue, you're supporting the musculoskeletal system and the musculoskeletal system needs everything that you find in, in bone broth, including the collagen and the magnesium and all these fat soluble vitamins, like just load up with that and forget about like, don't take too much vitamins, you know, or whatever else. Like if you're taking it in supplement form, you're taking it out of the natural vehicle that, it, that comes from nature. Nobody on the planet got sick from eating, you know, got vitamin A toxicity from eating too much, uh, bone marrow, bone broth. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Or bone broth. Exactly. So, um, so bone marrow, bone broths, organ meats, and really high quality. I like fermented cod liver oil. That's like, that's my jam. If you're eating those things, you're, you're taking nature's multivitamin. You don't have to go and spend all the out the wazoo and all this fancy processed stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. I know so many people really have started to kind of be curious about and prioritize a food first approach. And yeah, I think yeah. there are really kind of easy ways that you can start to do that. Um, listeners, Lily Nichols has a great recipe and it's super easy to also in a slow cooker. So if you're someone like me that likes uh, recipes to tell you how much to put in and when to do all the things, uh, check out Lily Nichols. She's awesome. All right, Nathan, this has been fantastic. So you have mentioned uh, Beloved Holistics. Tell us what that is. What kind of services do you have? How can people connect with you and in, in what ways might people work with you? Yeah. Well, thank you so much again, Kihi, for having me because it is really nice to just be able to, to like speak as a dad. Um, but yeah, I am also still a full-time doc. I'm seeing uh, women, mostly women, sometimes men um, on their fertility journeys. 
And uh, keep in mind, everybody out there, 40 to 50% of fertility issues comes from the man. So I work with a lot of increasingly working with men who have, you know, normal sperm count, but it's like 30 million versus 150 million healthy swimmers. And they're maybe not all swimming in the right direction if you catch my drift. So, um, so I work with a lot of men and women on a very holistic approach. We consider diet, movement, breath, hydration, sleep, and mindset, all the things you and I just talked about. Um, I sometimes will use supplements. There's two companies I really love to plug. Organifi is one. Needed is a new company on the market that makes very, very responsibly uh, um, uh, produced prenatal vitamins and some other supplements for pregnancy. Um, but apart from that, we're really just working with food and we're working with, we do some art therapy, we do some chakra loading and balancing. We do, um, there's a lot of talk therapy that goes into this. You know, it's, it's all that stuff you wish you, you could ask your OBGYN. You have the full, my full repertoire of the surgery, you know, experience with surgery, experience with pharmaceuticals and birth control pills and all that stuff. I leave that up on the top shelf when we talk about you, we get into all the nitty gritty of what we can really do on a fundamental level to make the soil as healthy as possible. So you can have a two hour birth at home. That's kind of the goal. And, uh, and that's, you can find that at beloved holistics. I also have a weekly newsletter where I share some, you know, new technologies, articles, podcasts, books, and things that I've been reading. Um, and that's been a, that's been a lot of fun to do as well. Cool. Oh my gosh, Nathan. It's always such a joy having you on the show. Yeah. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Listeners until next week, we'll see you later. Bye y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.